welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. And I'm Craig. Today we are in week two of our Halloween extravaganza, our countdown to my favorite holiday of the year, and I think yours as well, right? Yep. So as normal during this time of the year, we try to pick some movies that are Halloween-themed, or at least are somewhat appropriate for the holiday. And the one that we picked today is kind of special for me. Uh, This is a 1985 TV movie called The Midnight Hour. Had you ever heard of this before, Craig? You know, it's funny. I didn't think that I had, and uh, I started watching it, and I was just positive that I had never seen it before. But I think I must have, because it just seemed really familiar. Like, I didn't remember specific plot points, but I I didn't remember. It came out in 1985, and I remember this movie very specifically because I didn't get to see the whole thing. I was, I would have been about eight years old, 1985, and uh, I had, this this came on TV. You know, remember, we, we talk about TV movies a lot. Yeah. And uh, TV movies are like a thing, right? They're usually a big event. Uh, the network is advertising them well in advance. This movie, even though it's a Halloween-themed movie, and it came out on November 1st, <laughs> for some strange reason, uh, the day after Halloween. And I remember sitting down to start to watch this movie. And I saw the first part of it before the first set of commercials, but it came on late. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it was past my bedtime. And so we had a VCR set up to record television, which, you know, we used to do a lot back then. And my dad started recording it. He said, I'm not going to allow you to stay up to see this whole movie, but I'll record it for you so you can see it in the morning. And I said, okay. And so what did he do? As soon as the first commercial came, he sent me to bed and we hit pause on the recorder. This is another something we used to do, right? We (laughs) We would hit pause when the commercials came on. As soon as the commercials were off, we'd un pause it so that we could have a recording without commercials. <laughs> right. And I woke up in the morning and I found out that my dad had never unpaused the tape. So happened all the time. It happened a lot, right? (laughs) And I was so mad. I was like, oh, because that was it, man. I couldn't see it. There's no way, right? There's no way you can see this anymore. It came on TV once. I think it was broadcast a, a couple more times later, a few years later. But this movie didn't get a lot of airplay. And actually... Uh, was was released on uh, VHS uh, back uh, in the late 80s and once I think on DVD in the early 90s but those those were not big releases and they're fairly rare right now so this movie mm-hmm. is is out of print and it's hard to find unless you have the internet <laughs> right and and there it's on YouTube that's where you can watch it right now uh, it's very easy to find on YouTube in four or five different different ways so if you end up liking what we have to say about this movie or at least curious about it you can Google the Midnight Hour, 1985, and you'll find any version you want of it up on YouTube, and you can watch it along with us for the Halloween. Yeah, and and as is not often the case, the uh, quality uh, of the video on YouTube is actually really good. Oh, so, yeah. So it's there if you want to see it. Yeah, it must have been taken straight from the DVD release or something, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, this was an ABC special, and as such, with these big event TV movies, it has a ton of stars in it. You've got Sherry Belafonte, who is Harry Belafonte's daughter, LeVar Burton, you know, not not long off of Roots, (laughs) is in Mm -hmm. this. Peter DeLuise, who I thought might be related to Dom DeLuise, and he is. He's Dom DeLuise's son. Oh. Yeah. He played Mitch, uh, the football jockey player guy in this. There's a woman named Dee Dee Pfeiffer in here, who's Michelle Pfeiffer's younger sister, who plays oh, Mary. I didn't know that either. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And a couple of our favorites. Um, Kevin McCarthy is in this. He plays Judge Crandall. 
Yeah. Dick Van Patten, who is completely recognizable um, by anybody of that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a pretty popular comedian on like the, was he on the Carol Burnett show? Uh, I don't know. I remember him from Spaceballs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he plays the dentist uh, in this. There's just a bunch of them. Even Wolfman Jack, uh, who was at the time a very popular DJ that was syndicated around the country, uh, who had a very distinctive voice. His voice is in this coming on the radio. Actually, the movie features a lot of music. Uh, and uh, so we are all constantly hearing the radio playing, whether it's in the car or whether it's in the background at a party or something. And it gives them an excuse to put in all of these songs that are sort of themed uh, mildly themed horror or Halloween or somewhat are appropriate for the movie. Yeah, I loved the music in this movie. Like <laughs> every time a new song came on, I'm like, "Oh, I love this song." Like of course, you've got uh The Midnight Hour, um but then like Hey There Little Red Riding Hood, mm. um Bad Moon Rising, The Smiths How Soon Is Now is used in a really awesome scene in a really good way. Like, uh, there's just such good music. Like this would have been one when I was a kid, I would have raced to Best Buy or whatever and looked for the soundtrack cuz it <laughs> <laughs> Such good music. Oh, it's so true. No, the music is great. Now, now the I would say that the score is terrible. <laughs> Whenever they're not playing popular music and there's a score underlying the action, I thought it was almost gratingly bad. <laughs> but it was really nice that they worked all that in. And I feel like it was... I, I guess, yeah, I guess just they're trying to appeal to a mass audience with this movie. I feel like that's one of the big ways they're doing it, is putting in all of these, what we would consider oldies, oldie hits, mm-hmm. a lot of Motown and stuff that is tangentially related to the, the Halloween theme or the action that's going on on the screen right now, which also gives them an excuse to get Wolfman Jack in there. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix. The movie was directed by Jack Bender, who did Child's Play 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was written by a guy named William Bleich, and he didn't really write a whole lot of... I mean, he's got 15 credits on IMDb. Most of them are TV movies. None of them, aside from this one, I've ever seen. I guess there was a TV uh, series at one time in the mid-90s called Poltergeist The Legacy, and he wrote mm-hmm. a bunch of episodes for that. But uh, and, and then the star, the guy named Phil, who we follow through most of the movie, is Lee Montgomery. Did you recognize him at all? I did. It's really funny because I recognized him and then I, I clicked on his name uh, on IMDb and I it took me to his page and I'm like, have I already looked him up? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized I had because a uh, an episode that we've taped but haven't aired yet, um, at least as of this recording, right. uh, was over Burnt Offerings and he was uh, the kid, uh, David, in Burnt Offerings. Yeah. So it's it's nice to see he got on to do a little bit more stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this movie. I think this movie is kind of a mishmash of things. It's clearly uh, for network television, which means it can't get too graphic. It can't mm-hmm. get too even too you know adult in the themes or anything like that. So you can't really watch this kind of movie, especially with these types of stars in them and expect to be getting a true like horror movie that's going to scare you quite honestly these people just didn't do those movies so instead what you're getting is more of a comedy horror that's in the spirit of halloween in fact it takes place on halloween night it plays like a kind of movie that's really trying to appeal to a broad audience i think you know in every piece of it (laughs) yeah yeah i think maybe it's worth saying at the beginning that the movie did not 
get good reviews and critics have not been kind to it you know even still you know it's talked about in a lot of retrospectives and documentaries about horror movies and things and it it generally gets a pretty bad rap and part of the reason that it's been criticized is because of kind of what you alluded to that it's kind of a hodgepodge of things like on one hand it kind of feels like it's going for family friendly fare Um, But then there's also some relatively brutal violence. Some parts that I would think might be a little too scary for young kids. Mm. Especially in the beginning, it's set up very much like a family movie. Like, it starts out with this kid who's rolling newspapers. He's a newspaper delivery boy, and he's on the corner of elm street and some other street maple or something (laughs) you know i don't know if this is the cut you know i don't know how it would have played on tv but it's weird because it like it shows him doing this and then he puts a baseball card in the spokes of his uh bike and then it's like he he spins the wheel and it cuts him and then it cuts him really fast to the title card that was so Uh, weird and then it it was, and then it cuts right back. Like it was just <laughs> really abrupt. And like, okay, well, that was odd. It's but like whatever. Wolfman Jack going the midnight hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just like in one second. <laughs> Look out! It's the midnight hour, baby. And then it's over. And then it cuts back to the kid, and he's like cut himself, and he's bleeding on his newspapers or whatever. But then he goes all around town delivering papers, and. It's just, you know, that perfect, quaint town that you see in so many of these kind of family-friendly horror movies. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't find much information about this movie, which I was surprised because there are so many big names in it. I thought surely there would be stories, you know, from this movie, but I couldn't find much of anything. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was the same set as, like... Back to the Future or Gremlins or Something Wicked This Way Comes. Like, it's it's just that, you know, that idyllic kind of square, you know, downtown oh. um, where he's you know, delivering the papers to uh, the barber and the, sh- the cop and, you know, just all of these down-home trope kind of characters. And then he kind of gets out into the suburb kind of area and is doing it out there, too. I, I would I would go one step further, and I would I actually want to go back and uh, do this comparison sometime. I swear that this is a direct ripoff of the intro to Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yeah, right down, it's really similar. Down to, like, the musical score. I mean, even the music sounds like the intro to that. And... He's, he's tossing his papers and he's going around the town and like you said there's the barber who steps out who does that there's the guy who's like outside of I guess the cigar store setting a wooden yeah. Indian out which is just it is so specific <laughs> yeah <laughs> that it's this has got to be a direct ripoff of that of that opening <laughs> bit or something like there's no question it's crazy and I don't think this is the first time in this movie when you're going to see an almost direct ripoff of, of another horror film in here. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, but that's the thing, too. Like, it really feels like kind of a hodgepodge. And, mm-hmm. and as we get into it, we'll talk more about that. But um, we meet uh, our main character, Phil, like you said, played by Lee Montgomery. And he's this teen boy, this nice-looking boy, but he's, like, the nice guy. And his dad is the town dentist, played by Dick Van Patten, who, you know, has a really small role, but he's so m- memorable and so recognizable that it's kind of, you know, just a little treat of a cameo mm-hmm. um, of him. 
It's like for all the older people to go, oh, cute, Dick Van Patten. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And uh, then we go to the high school where we meet this group of friends, this central group of friends. Melissa, who's played by Sherry Belafonte. Now, you said she's Harry Belafonte's daughter, is that right? Yep. She's really recognizable. She's this beautiful, exotic woman of color, and, and I just recognized her. But then I looked at her stuff, and... I don't know. It wasn't anything that jumped out at me, but she's just got such a recognizable face that I guess if I've seen her anywhere, I remember her. It's funny because at first, for a brief flinting moment, I thought that she was um, the same woman who played opposite Michael Jackson in Thriller. And then I thought, no, 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 that's definitely not her. But when she's in full makeup and the woman in Michael Jackson's Thriller is in full makeup and dancing and stuff like that, actually, Uh they look kind of similar, if, if I recall. Yeah, it makes sense because I read that the the makeup or costume people who did Thriller also did a lot of the work on this movie, and you can see it. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities. And then you've got Vinny, played by LeVar Burton. Um, I remember LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. I loved Reading Rainbow when I was a kid. (laughs) Me too. I'm such a nerd. Um, But he's young, you know. I I don't believe for a second that he was a teenager, but, you know, young, whatever. And then Mitch, who's the jockey one, played by Peter DeLuise, and Mary, who I guess is kind of the pretty popular one who uh, Phil has a crush on and she's played by Dee Dee Pfeiffer. And it's these four friends and there's going to be this big Halloween party and Phil is kind they're all going together, but Phil's kind of trying to get up the nerve to ask Mary if she'll be like his date. Um, And it's just goofy high school stuff in this like, I don't know, classroom. Uh, And their regular teacher doesn't show up. And instead, this substitute teacher, Miss Jensen, shows up. And the boys are, well, all of them, really, are fawning over how beautiful she is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I thought she was pretty, but, like, she didn't make my jaw drop or anything like these guys. (laughs) Like, you would think that Miss America had walked into the room or something. (laughs) And then we get the... uh, the backstory, I guess. Phil gives this Halloween report oh randomly yeah. <laughs> um, with slides, and it's like talking about the. It, it, this reminded me of Hocus Pocus. Like, let's give the backstory of our town's history with Halloween. Um, and of course, it's you know unique and uh, apropos to the occasion. Exa- and and <laughs> apparently, people are very rooted in this town because generations and generations ago like all these young kids are like their ancestors or their descendants (laughs) they're all related (laughs) in the early years of the town nathaniel grenville my great 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 grandfather was minister and constable general anyhow these guys back then believed in all this stuff about witches and as it so happened one of the most powerful witches who ever lived came from right here in pitchford cove or Pitchfork Cove, as it got to be known because of what happened. And this witch was Lucinda, Grinville's slave, and the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Melissa Cameron. Great, great. I know, I know. We all know. It was that old black magic. Thank you. And she put a curse on the town, and the curse on the town was that all of the dead would rise and all of the demons from hell would rise. Phil's ancestor, he <laughs> defeated the witch and, you know, got rid of all of the living dead and, and the demons and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, there's there's your backstory. <laughs> but in, in the, his report, Phil talks about how there's a 
museum. There's a, a town witchcraft museum, and in the museum is a uh, exhibit where they have the witch hunter and the witch, and they're wearing, you know, the authentic clothes that they actually wore back in the day. So these kids decide, oh, won't it be awesome if we break in and steal these? outfits to use for our Halloween costumes for the party. <laughs> and so that's what they do. They do. And it's such a great little scene. Uh, they're all, you know, in broad daylight in the middle of the park, hiding behind a statue, totally obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and waiting, you know, for the museum to close and the woman leaves. And then a guy with a bunch of dogs pulls up and I guess he's the night watchman or something that I guess I didn't really get that they said something like I get the police probably hired him to patrol because it's Halloween (laughs) okay well I didn't know that police forces like outsourced goons but whatever (laughs) dudes like this he's got this pickup truck he's like chewing tobacco or something he just looks like a total uh, yeah interesting guy but he's got two big dogs and uh, I guess he goes in somewhere and comes out to feed the dog something which gives them the cover to go into the back and just break in through the window it's so dumb I mean it's it's really dumb I, honestly a lot of this movie is really really kind of lame but um, then, yeah. anyway they come come in and they take the costumes off of these people and put them on and then they decide to go down into the archives and the archives is like a dungeon <laughs> it's like the walls are stone and these are the worst kept archives in in the country really because everything's covered in cobwebs and just sort of randomly thrown across shelves and stuff it reminded me of you know what Elvira might have found in her aunt's house yeah. you know, when she goes yeah. in <laughs> like, not really archives and, and obviously they're not keeping good track of this stuff because uh, they pull out a big a big trunk and blow the dust off of it and they say hey this is the Cavendish coat of arms and they open it up and they find more trinkets and things in there and one of the things that uh, is in there also is a smaller box and they decide oh well let's just take the whole trunk out and we'll throw all the costumes in there and so they decide to take the whole trunk out of there and they're acting like they discovered it like like nobody knows about this stuff right <laughs> Okay, so they managed to sneak this out and back across the street, and there's some really terrible day for night during the sequence, <laughs> where in one direction it looks like broad daylight, in the other direction it looks like day for night, and then in the third direction it actually looks like nighttime. Um, and they drive off, and this being a Halloween movie, uh, what do they decide? Well, before we go to this Halloween party, we need to find a place to change, and what better place to change into these costumes than the local cemetery? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And so they pull up to the cemetery, they come out, and they change into their costumes. And I love the cemetery. Like, the cemetery is, you know, what this old, decrepit cemetery right out of, you know, a ghost story. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the, the ground is, like, steaming. Like, you, it's like they're burning see, leaves like, or something. Yeah, there must have been, you know, they must have had, like, pipes under the ground just shooting steam out. Like, because it was everywhere. And, uh-huh. uh it was it was funny. I mean, it was very Halloweeny. It, it it felt more like like you go to a haunted graveyard that somebody yeah. has set up. It didn't look like an actual cemetery. No, not in the slightest. And there's so much of that in this movie where it's just kind of silly, actually. <laughs> well, you say that, and I get what you mean because it is because it's totally unrealistic. But it's a Halloween movie, and yeah. you know, I, I felt like they sets a mood. Yeah, it, it did. It sets a mood. I, I don't think that they were necessarily going for strict realism here. Well, you know, they no. it was haunted housey. It was, 
haunted graveyard. You know, it was, I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought it was atmospheric and fun. It's like a kid's movie, really. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's kind of what it is. And so that's how it plays out. And so that's part of the disconnect I think we'll talk about a little later. You know, I'm not going to be too harsh on this movie because it is a nice little Halloween flick. Uh, so anyway, they uh, go to the cemetery and uh, they take open the thing and he finds a smaller box and he opens it up. He says, hey, look at this box. And again, acting like nobody's ever seen this before. Mm -hmm. And I guess nobody has because there's a little ring in there uh, that must have belonged to... I guess now this belonged to Cavendish, the woman, it, well, Lucinda. It, no, it was no, it was uh, Phil's uh, ancestor. Phil's was it? ancestor, I don't know, what the, Green something, I don't Greenville or something like that is his last name. So Mitch puts on the ring, and then they find a scroll that is sealed with a wax seal, which is the impression of this ring. As yeah. they decide to open it up, and guess what's on there is some kind of ancient curse. And conveniently, since Melissa is the ancestor uh, of the woman who gave the curse, she thinks it's appropriate that she should read the scroll. So she stands there in a very dramatic scene and reads uh, the scroll. And it's funny. It's super melodramatic, but she does a really good job. Like, Lachios Mundabor Desmagon. I invoke your powers. Come heed my bidding on this night of nights, the eve of Samhain, All Hallows' Eve. Spirits of darkness, I command you to rise from your graves. Lavabis Sagame. All manner of demons. I implore your release from eternal torment. I love it. It's like people in horror movies have never seen a horror movie before. <laughs> like, don't go into the cemetery and read some ancient incantation out loud. Just don't do it. Like, you are just begging for trouble. Well, and, and Phil recognizes that as soon as it's finished. And he says, guys, I think that was a bad idea. And they're like, why? And he says, didn't anyone listen to my report today? And they all go, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was the best set of lines in the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. They leave the cemetery, and immediately, as you would expect, all of the dead start to arise. And this was total thriller ripoff. And I guess yeah. I was thinking this had to be in the wake of, of... I mean, Thriller came out in 82 or 83, but then the, like um, the music video really caught on um, and was like the making of Thriller and the music video got really popular even a little bit later than that. Oh, yeah, um, it was huge. Yeah. It was it was like played on TV, and then you could get a VHS copy of it. My sisters and I used to watch it all the time, uh -huh. and that would have been around this time. So it's clear there were, it's clear this movie was capitalizing or trying to capitalize off of the popularity of that by really putting in this element. But it's so funny because it's so disjointed and um, kind of nonsensical. Really, there's a, a killer. Um, a, I guess a serial killer that they kind of yeah. make brief mention of called Victor Nestor, who um, it takes us into his coffin and he's kind of decrepit and he, he wakes up and he's pushing against it and he comes out of his grave. And then it goes to this woman, Lucinda's grave, and she looks like she died an hour ago. Right. She is not at all decayed or anything. And she just comes out. I guess it was because she was a witch. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, she, maybe that's she, what they were trying she to is the witch, you know, like the one that unleashed the original curse. She's Melissa's great-great-grandmother or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then everybody starts to come out. And, it, you know, it is. I mean, it's just like Thriller. I mean, and 
as Thriller was inspired by Night of the Living Dead. So there are definitely, you know, hints of Night of the Living Dead there too. But all of these, you know, corpses coming out of their graves in different levels of decay and they're, you know, wearing interesting costumes and it's funny because it's just it's so random like there's a (laughs) there's a a a dead little person that runs around um there's like a werewolf guy werewolf for no good reason (laughs) (laughs) Um, but and then one of them who rises from the dead is just this cute cheerleader who also looks like she died maybe half an hour ago Um, (laughs) and then just tons like you know the whole cemetery wakes up and 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 starts heading towards town and then we get to see (laughs) it cuts back to (laughs) phil's house and he's gone home to put on his costume and he does like this whole big reveal to his family and i don't even know was he supposed to be somebody specific because if he was i didn't get the reference i don't think so i just he just looked like a new wave pop trendy magician or yeah he's got like this weird angular like blue and gray makeup almost like you know david bowie-esque kind of uh full face makeup and he's wearing this like sparkly tinsel wig and he's got um this big (laughs) cape but everybody's really impressed so it's so 80s (laughs) (laughs) the whole movie is very 80s which i love of course me too (laughs) and his sister says (gasps) bodacious it's funny and then he goes to leave to go to the party and he drives this awesome car it's like a cadillac convertible like a 1950s cadillac convertible conveniently yeah and he goes to back out and we see that one of these dead people is like shambling down the street and he actually hits like when he's backing out of his driveway he hits the guy with his car and he's like oh i'm so sorry and the guy's like <laughs> yes but i i love you know th- they do this in halloween movies all the time of course the dead can rise and just walk around the streets and nobody notices it's halloween mm-hmm. you know like it's yeah, just really trick or good treaters costumes. everywhere yeah it does a good job of setting up the halloween spirit nobody thinks twice about it this is this is who i will call comic relief zombie <laughs> yeah yeah there are several the little the little person is is totally comic relief too and he's really funny yeah <laughs> I, I laughed at several of their parts yeah, you know at this point that this isn't going to be a totally serious movie. This is probably your first clue. Aside from the hokiness yeah. of the first part, you know you know that they're not going to go for really spooky at this point, which is good. I mean, it's good I waited so long because that would have really disappointed eight-year-old Todd if I had <laughs> actually seen this. <laughs> I, this was the point at which they all rose up from their graves uh, uh-huh. and uh, started stumbling out was then when it went to its first commercial break. And uh, so I didn't see anything from that point on. And, and, you know, I was expecting a really scary movie. So I would have been a little disappointed at Comic Relief Zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really not a scary movie. I mean, there are some minorly scary parts, but mm-hmm. not really. Um, the next thing we see is Judge Crandall, who is Mitch's dad. He's given his kid a hard time because he knows that he stole the costume. And he's... Kevin McCarthy's really funny. He's in a lot of movies. The thing I always remember him from, and this is not a particularly popular movie, but Inner Space. Did you, oh, did you yeah. see that movie? That's a fantastic uh, movie. 
I love that movie, and he yeah. was the villain in that, and, and so I immediately recognized him from that. But he's just playing it. He he's playing it drunk and mean, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's he you know he he smacks his kid around a little bit, and Mitch uh, finally leaves, and then Phil meets on his way to the party. He meets the dead cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um and has Sandy. a little fanta Sandy yeah of course because she looks just like Sandy from Greece and acts like her too uh uh-huh. it's it's so funny because like he sees her and then he just has like a little fantasy moment like <laughs> where they just like stand and hold each other as a train goes by like so random <laughs> but then she, he he tells her there's going to be this big party and she should come but she's like no i i want to go home and um so he heads on uh to the party yeah I don't know. I mean, I feel like we're going through it step by step, which is fine, because there's the thing, the only thing that really bothered me about this movie was that the plot is really paper thin. Like, kids rise, the dead, the dead run around causing havoc. They have to figure out how to shut it down. Like, that's it. Like, everything, everything else is just extra. (laughs) And there's a lot of that extra, like the most important parts of the dead rising and then having to shut the dead down are just kind of bunched up at the beginning and bunched up at the last, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think the rest of the middle, it kind of drags a little bit because it's just high school kids doing high school stuff. Essentially, yeah. it's there. They go to this big party, and this big party, of course, is at her old. Um, we, we call it. It's at uh, Melissa's home, which has been in the family for generations, right? right and presumably, right. I guess the idea is that presumably it used to be her great aunt's, but it couldn't have been because she was a slave, right? Yeah. At that time, so yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. Anyway, yeah. So they're all gathering at this party, and just a bunch of hijinks happen, and some of the demons and ghouls show up at the party but they're partying along with everybody else hardy and dancing and and yeah making out at one point (laughs) it's and and that's funny i actually enjoyed that it it was i don't i don't want to go so far as to say it was clever because it's not like it's entirely unique but it it was funny to watch And, and then there are also just kind of these random well not entirely random but there are these violent scenes like um, at one point, the judge is, again, just raging about those darn teenagers or whatever, and he goes to take his trash out, and he gets killed by that serial killer, Vernon Nestor, or whatever his name was, mm-hmm. um, who apparently the judge had convicted, and so that's why he was dead, and so it makes sense that he would come back for revenge. But there are these little, like, I expected this guy, because they make kind of a big deal out of him in the beginning, yeah, the yeah. serial killer, they make kind of a big deal out of him in the beginning, and then he kills the judge, but then that's it. Like You never see him again. You never even see him again. Yeah. yeah. It's like he was getting his revenge, I guess, maybe that one time, and then he's going to stumble off. You're right. It seemed like he would be a, a big, uh, like a like a crucial um, villain, you know, in this movie. But no, he just kills the judge, and that's it. And then later on, the judge turns into a zombie himself. Right. I mean, and then, then the wolf man shows up randomly in a downtown barbershop and uh-huh. the extra cop <laughs> goes to investigate the dude with the dogs again very convenient <laughs> uh, and uh, he gets killed by him and later on the dogs come back and see their master 
down and they start licking him and stuff, but he has turned into a werewolf himself. Is that part of werewolf lore that you turn into a werewolf? Is it like vampires? I don't think so. Yeah. No, it it? is. It is. Yeah. If you you get bitten but not killed, then yeah, you're infected and you become uh, a werewolf. That's why this movie feels so Halloween-y is because it's got a kind of a monster mash quality to it. It, Yes. They're sticking all of the different monsters in here. It it turns out Lucinda is, is a vampire. Right, which was kind of random. And yeah. she shows up at the party. I kind of liked that mashup of the different uh, monsters. Um, and one of the characters, Phil, even says something about it at one point, like late in the movie when they kind of figure out what's going on. He's like, okay, so the dead are rising, but what the heck about like vampires and werewolves? And Sandy's like, uh, uh, the incantation said, and all the demons of hell. Like, mm. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only one vampire in hell. And only one werewolf I guess. in hell. Yeah. Well, whatever. There are some funny things about the movie that are just so random. Like, the hot substitute teacher is at the party what yeah like that's weird. <laughs> and she keeps calling herself a chaperone and then <laughs> every <laughs> every 10 seconds she's like uh i need some more wine please like <laughs> <laughs> and, and at one point one of the girls is like she's the best chaperone ever like <laughs> It's not like she's letting them drink wine. No. In fact, there's surprisingly little alcohol being drunk by any of the minors in this whole movie. I didn't see a drop of it. Probably because it's a TV movie. I guess. You know, there's, some things, there's some things that they had to do, of course, besides make it just a little lighter for the movie. And I thought that one of the things they did really nice is even though you say that these scenes are kind of violent, they're not graphic. But they find ways to imply what they can't show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the judge gets strangled, there's it's all kind of the classic shadow on the wall yeah, that you see yeah. that happen in. Um, but it goes on for a little bit. When Lucinda attacks her great-great-great-great-granddaughter, Melissa, um, Melissa's looking for wine in the in the cellar. And, of course, this house has a wine cellar, with, you know, that's that, again, looks like a dungeon. And all of the wine has been there since the beginning of time. It has dust all over yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and Lucinda just comes down there and uh, appears again. And, and Melissa's not really bothered by it. My dad will probably kill me if I take anything too old or too valuable or whatever. I don't know what to take. Just something to quench the thirst. But what? There's so many kinds. There's only one thing that can quench the thirst. The unbearable thirst, the thirst of the centuries to be passed on forever. And then eventually she attacks her, you know, the big fangs come out and she and the movie goes into slow motion. And while she's struggling against her, and they're just kind of rocking back and forth as she attacks her. But they're not showing any blood. What they are doing is they're bursting, like the wine bottles are bursting in the background, and the corks are shooting off of them. And so this red wine is spraying all over the room. I thought that was kind of clever, you know? It's a clever way to make it a little gory without actual gore. Dude, I loved that scene. Mm -hmm. Like... 
I thought it was so good. And part of it was because of the music in the background, um, which I've already mentioned, but it's the Smiths, How Soon Is Now. And it's just the instrumental part of it. It's just so atmospheric, and it works so well for this scene. And in a movie that's really overall very cheesy... And and the acting is fine. Like yeah, it's it's wrong. not going to win any it's not going to win any awards, but it's it's fine. Um, and it's the you know the lady who plays Lucinda, I would say, is perhaps one of the weaker actresses in the movie. But the way that it's shot, I don't know. Like it's sensual and it's violent without being as you said, you know, super gory, but the imagery of the wine slowly spilling out onto the ground and splashing everywhere and, you know, just everything from the time that she starts biting is just kind of in these tones of red and black and, oh, gosh, I I really, I thought that was just a really, really strong scene in what is overall a relatively mediocre movie, but... <laughs> I wanted to go back and watch it again. I'm like, oh, that was so good. I totally it's it's definitely the best best shot scene in the movie. I thought it was the most effective one. I I agree with you. And and we get something kind of like this again, and it's not that dramatic, but well, what happens is that Melissa now, you know, is starting to pick off people one by one. So we're starting to see all these different friends succumb. You know, her boyfriend, Vinny, who's played by LeVar Burton, um, she bites him. Uh, and, and this is all happening at the party, you know, so nobody yeah. really notices. That's kind of the thing. Um, and she brings the jock uh, upstairs, Mitch, um, and plays around with him a little bit on the roof. And Mitch's dad's car comes tearing through the lawn and crashes across the street. And Mitch is like, oh no, he's drunk again. And he runs down to get his dad, but he finds his dad is a, is a zombie demon and he attacks him as well and kills him. Which surprised me. You know, like that was kind of... It was a little dark. It is a little bit dark, and at first it surprised me that these, like, it surprised me that the judge got killed, because I'm thinking, Mm. you know, this isn't, was it CBS or ABC? I don't remember. ABC. You know, I don't know. Maybe things have changed. Today, ABC is very family-friendly. Like, they're kind of the most family-friendly network of the network, cable, of the network television stations or whatever. And so I was just kind of surprised, even like when the judge died, I'm like, oh, like yeah. you know it's one of the main characters dads i was like i didn't ex- i didn't expect that but it they soften the blow because everybody comes back mm-hmm. like yes they get killed but then they come back as monsters right. a- and there's this underlying promise i mean meanwhile while all of this stuff is going on at the party and yes uh melissa bites vinny and then vinny and melissa are both going around biting everybody eventually M- mary gets bit mitch comes back you know everybody is dead and dying and coming back as monsters meanwhile um, Phil has left the party because he realizes that Mary, his crush, isn't interested in him. She's interested in somebody else. So he leaves and he finds Sandy again and they have their own little kind of side story. Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole movie in and of itself, really. It, it is. <laughs> and it's, and, you know, this it, this is an urban legend, right? Yeah. Classic. I, I, I know I've heard this story before, you know, like the guy meeting this girl on Halloween night or whatever, and she's, you know, dressed in older clothes and they spend time together. And like, that's, that's what this is. And she, it's funny, this actress, I don't know 
who she is, but um, she she's very sweet, but she's also emotionally all over the place. Like in one <laughs> moment she's sad and mopey, and then in the next moment she's like, "Woohoo! Let's drag race with people in the street!" and <laughs> and he's like not picking up on any of this. Well, and she, you know, she talks using all like '50s slang, and mm-hmm. she gets mad when she hears a remake of a '50s song on the radio. She's like, "Why did they even bother? The original is so much." better (laughs) (laughs) Bill I've got a really hard idea what well I was a little down in the dumps like before I ran into you yeah and I'm just coming out of it and nothing I mean nothing would bring me out of it quicker than a big chocolate ice cream soda so let's go where (laughs) to the malt shop of course silly the malt shop but it's cute and it is a little movie in and of itself and it has to play out really fast but eventually, you know, when they're kind of having a good time, she's like, let's go to Lookout Point. Uh, mm-hmm. And they do. And then, she, uh, God, it was so funny. Like, she's totally, like, she just jumps his bones. She's like on him, yeah. <laughs> Which is the second they get there. It's so funny. They do actually kind of set this up in the, you know, he has, he's maybe the only character in this movie that has any kind of arc. And at the beginning of the movie, one of the very first things that he does when he's talking to the family, he's talking about how he wants to ask Mary out, um, is her, his dad gives him some advice about how he needs to basically be more assertive with women. Like he needs to take control, he needs to whatever, and he's totally not that guy. And even though this girl is like, ta- she's taking the lead in everything, and she's pulling him through all these different places and encouraging him to do stuff, and, and even still, he's just not, he, he's still just unwittingly going along with it, to the point that she like literally has to pull him over the front seat to the back seat. Yeah. And he doesn't even seem that thrilled about it. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny. And so like I feel like had the werewolf not showed up, because the werewolf shows up and jumps on the car and like slashes the top of the convertibles trying which to get is, in. Like Which is again, it's just another classic thing, right? They're making out at lookout yeah, point. Yeah, at lookout point, right. Yeah, yeah. Is to conflate the two is kind of interesting. Yeah. The the werewolf attacks. If, if the werewolf hadn't attacked, I think that uh, Phil would have gotten lucky that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit of necrophilia going on. <laughs> um, but anyway, when they get attacked, they go immediately to the police. And the guy that played the head police chief was really familiar to me, too, but I didn't write down his name. Do you know who he was? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's been in a billion things. RoboCop. Ah. The biggest. He was in... He's been... He has 148 IMDb credits. Yeah, he was super... I mean, and he he plays a relatively insignificant role, but super recognizable. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they go to the police station... The the cops don't believe them, but they also overhear that there have been all of these other reports about weird things going on. Vampires, werewolves, monsters, zombies, etc. Um, so the cops are clearly not going to be any help, so they run out. Um, but Sandy, and, and just randomly, Phil mentioned something like, oh, we were out at the cemetery, and she was like, what were you doing at the cemetery? He says, oh, nothing. We just did this incantation and then left. <laughs> and and, oh, and basically, you know, it, it's like she doesn't want to fully confess her role in it, but, but she confirms, you know, it worked. You know, the, the dead are coming back. And she has this extensive knowledge. She's like, Phil, 
listen to me. What we've got to do now is get a hold of that parchment and reseal it using Grenville's ring. We need to make a wax seal from the bones of Grenville himself from his crypt at the cemetery. We'll need his power. His power? How do you know all this stuff? We need to do this all by midnight. <laughs> and he's like, how do you, and he's like, how do you know all this? And she's like, I don't know, I just do. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't really know either. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, that's their plan. Yep. They go back to the house, they go back to the party, and it, it looks like it's abandoned. Um, and they look around a little bit. But then they, you know, like they walk in the the op- the entryway is this big like foyer with, you know, this big staircase and, and they walk in there, there's nobody there. They walk into a side room, they come back, and the whole stairway is filled with the party goers who are now all vampires or demons or ghouls or something. And um they g- give chase, but fortunately Mitch is at the head of the mob and so when they get behind a door and they close the door, Mitch sticks his hand through the door and <laughs> Sandy's like bit. Sandy's like get the ring get the ring and he's trying to pull it off and he's like it's stuck <laughs> so she goes and grabs a meat cleaver <laughs> and feels like no wait and he just grabs some pancake syrup and pours it on the guy's hand and slides the ring off that was so hilarious <laughs> oh it was funny it was just so funny that like they didn't they didn't make a big deal out of it like no. she just turned around and grabbed a meat cleaver and he was like hold up <laughs> like we don't need to chop his hand off uh, uh and uh, they get the ring they get the ring and they all go outside and and in the mean so they're speeding away to uh do what they need to do i think was it before this that he melted down some silver from his dad's uh yeah he melted down some silver from his dad's i guess i guess what he uses to fill teeth with or something uh and at the same time while he's in there he turns around and his dad comes up behind him and his dad is also now a vampire or mm-hmm. demon or something like that we didn't actually see that happen but uh, you just kind of assume everybody in the town now, and they all seem to be converging upon the cemetery or the middle of town or something. There's even the milkman, and he's like standing up on the top of the milk truck, like pouring out milk. No. Yeah, th- th- there's, there's a whole scene like where they're driving through town, and they're driving really slowly so as to not draw attention. And I feel like this is when they're on their way to back to the house. So oh, I skipped it. it before, but it's it's a you know it's a, a long scene. I mean, like mm-hmm. several minutes long, where they're just driving through town, and you're seeing all of these townspeople and just visuals. Yeah, I mean, it's classic. You know, they're walking up out of the backlit fog, and you've got, you know, all of your classic zombie. There's a bride zombie, and there's an opera singer zombie who is singing opera. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, in the gazebo on the square, and, you know, the werewolf is there. And it's cool to look at. I mean, I I actually enjoyed that scene. Somebody put a lot of effort into sure. those makeup effects and those costumes and the lighting. Like, it looked good. It it didn't progress the plot in any way, but it looked good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Well, they make it to the cemetery. They're in the car that they jumped into after they left the party, and somebody springs up in the back seat. It's so funny because my wife is watching this with me. And as soon as they jump in the car, she's like, look in the back seat. Look in the back seat. <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? And sure yeah. enough, somebody springs up in the back seat and it's their hot teacher. 
Um, but they're like, oh, thank God it's you. And they just go on driving. And I'm sitting here thinking, thank God it's her. Like everybody you know is in some way, shape, or form a zombie. Dead. Not gonna yeah. check, this, check this a little more carefully. And sure enough, they get to the cemetery and hop out. And as they're trying to break into the little crypt or whatever that his great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather is kept in, she comes behind them and she is also a vampire. Uh, but luckily... Uh, what he whacks her over the top of the head with something, and I th- the the girl does, the girl Sandy does, does right. and like Sandy's a spunky gal. She is spunky. I, I, I and I feel like the teacher vampire like falls on like a trellis or something, and oh, like right. impales herself, and I guess is dead. I don't know. It all happens really quickly, and like that was one of the parts, and it's one of many where it's like, why, like. <laughs> why why did she need to be there like it, yeah. it didn't it didn't have any impact on the story well, at it's all. so quick and it's also not even shot in a very dramatic way you know no, no tension there it's just like aha it's, oh no whack okay yeah <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just like that they go inside it's so funny too they go inside and and uh, everybody is converging upon them so they have to act fast and he manages to pry the lid off the coffin and this must be the only person in the entire cemetery who's actually decomposed enough to a skeleton yeah <laughs> and they scoop some dust out of there and she just holds it in her hand <laughs> and she's like mm-hmm. get the matches and they have a candle and he's trying to light a match and i'm thinking they're gonna do all this in her hand <laughs> yeah and they do. Well, they, yeah. I <laughs> they mean, go they, back to the for, car. First, yeah, they didn't have the matches. The matches were in the car, so they had to go back to the car, which, again, it doesn't really matter. Like, I feel like they shot the werewolf off the top of the car or something. You had mentioned earlier, I just think it's so funny in these werewolf movies that as soon as people find out that there's a werewolf, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and make some silver bullets real quick. <laughs> like, <laughs> who That's does right. that? <laughs> anyway, this little pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so yeah, he shoots the werewolf off. Uh, they get into the car. All The whole town is converging upon the car. And surprisingly, even though the werewolf has torn the top off of the car, everyone finds it surprisingly difficult to get into the car uh-huh. just in enough time for them to go through this process of melt mixing the wax with the thing making a seal and she looks at him and she says i love you uh because earlier you know actually i really liked this part of the movie i thought it was a bit touching and this was it's sweet this is my favorite part of the movie actually was just this ghost story urban legend thing you know about him and the girl because Mm -hmm. she was really sweet and he did kind of find what he was looking for and get his confidence or whatever that you know because she was so assertive and she's just like a nice character and it was just a nice little story and so i was a little sad when she you know when she disappeared as well yeah i mean because that's the thing like when she was explaining what had happened she said that most of them are evil but not all of them Mm -hmm. and and he's like well why would they come back if they weren't evil and and she says well they have unfinished business they they need to do something that they couldn't do when they were alive and he's like like what do you mean and she says like fall in love (laughs) (laughs) and he's so thick like oh okay Yeah, yeah, but, but it, it's it's cute. It's, it's cute. cute. At the same time, it's just it's just such a jamming shoehorning in of something almost completely off topic. You know, I mean, what more can you throw into this movie of, right. of ghost lore and vampire lore and monster lore and whatever? You know, to well, kind of have this this as a part of it. But I it, don't the know. The only thing that gave the movie heart. 
you know. It's <laughs> yes, that's true. Um and and I don't know. You know, I guess maybe it's just because I'm in the Halloween spirit. Like I love this stuff. And and to throw it all together maybe it doesn't really work as a cohesive whole, but in individual moments I appreciated, you know, the mm. different parts of it um and and so yeah like the monsters are and you see these you know aerial shots of the car with the monsters all over it and it's i thought it was hilarious lucinda's like standing on the top of the car like flapping her cape like a bird like (laughs) (laughs) and they they get the match lit and they melt the wax in her hand and the bones and uh they do the seal and she says i love you and then everything flashes into this bright bright light and when the light dissipates, everybody's gone, including her. And he gets out of the car, and uh, <laughs> conveniently, right next to the car, is her gravestone with his jacket that he had loaned her, draped over it. Like, I feel like this is classic urban legend. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he pulls the the jacket off, and written in lipstick are her initials plus his initials, and then like a kiss in, in mm-hmm. lipstick and it's <laughs> i love that he takes a little bit of the lipstick up and takes it to his nose to smell it <laughs> yeah like it smell like her breath like i don't <laughs> okay whatever i think earlier when she was putting it on she said tutti frutti oh yeah that's right yeah. i forgot I, I half expected that to come out of his mouth i have to actually give the movie major points for not smelling that and then going <laughs> tutti, hmm, tutti frutti <laughs> <laughs> letting that be the last line of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, then he gets back in the car and Wolfman Jack comes back on and says, Hey, the first caller after midnight on Wolfman's dedication line is a young lady who really wanted to make sure we got this right out right away. It's from Sandy to Phil. And it plays uh, Baby I'm Yours, which is a great love song from mm. the, I don't know, 50s or 60s. Um, and he smiles and drives away, uh, and then that's the end of the movie. I can't believe that we got we through that whole over. thing. I know exactly I what know. you're going to say. <laughs> the best part of the whole movie... The dance sequence. Yes, the dance sequence. There's this There's this moment where like, there, it's after Melissa has already been turned into a vampire, and she and Lucinda are just standing there like, kind of against a wall, and this song comes on, and Melissa goes, I love this song, and she struts out into the middle of the dance floor, and I sat up in my chair, and I'm like, yes, it's going to be a dance number. Oh my gosh. It was it was shameless. A shameless thriller dance number. Oh my god. And it was hilarious. And like at first, like the music's playing and she's just kind of dancing, and then eventually she starts lip syncing to it. And then eventually I realized that it was her. Like and it was. Mm-hmm. It was that that yeah. actress recorded the song. It was the original song and she recorded it for the movie. And you're right, it's totally shameless. It's a total thriller ripoff, but it's hilarious and fantastic and they totally break the fourth wall like they're looking <laughs> right looking into the camera. the camera oh my god it was so good yeah. <laughs> like like in and, and it's like it's so bad it I, I don't even want to say so bad it's good because i just enjoyed it so much and like the choreography was fun and like it starts out with just melissa and then lucinda joins in and then some other random people start joining in and eventually everybody joins in and it's this huge choreographed thing oh my god it was so much fun i loved it <laughs> you know it's 
it's truly a Halloween movie. I mean, it's a Halloween extravaganza because yeah. Halloween's like that. You know, Halloween is just a mishmash where we just kind of throw everything in a big cauldron and stir it up. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a Halloween party, you know, where everyone's coming dressed in a different costume and it all just works anyway. This movie is like that. Every, yeah. there's tons of different weird plot things. There's, okay, fine, she's a vampire, and he's a vampire, and there's a werewolf, and none of it really makes sense, but it's just kind of thrown together and connected by this threadbare plot that, oh, yeah, and then we'll throw in the ghost story, you know, the Mm -hmm. urban legend ghost story. And it doesn't really work, but it's fine if it's great for Halloween. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a perfect Halloween movie, but it's definitely in the spirit of the season, for sure. Well, and like you said, I mean, it was just, it was a different time. Like, these movies were an event, and the the networks would advertise them, you know, for weeks in advance, and you would sit down with your family, most probably, even though they aired this one kind of late, um because I think maybe it was a little bit too scary for little kids, but you would sit down with your family or, you know, in your room with your little 12-inch TV or whatever, (laughs) um, and you would watch these, and it was an event because, like you said, it's not like you could get on Hulu the next day and watch it. Like, if you missed it, you missed it. Like, that was it. And, you know, when your friends were talking about it at school the next day, it's not like you could just be like, oh, well, I'll watch it on Netflix when I get home. No, like, you missed it. Sorry. It's over. And they generally had to have this kind of mass appeal, Uh you know, which I think is why it kind of ends up hokey. That's generally what happens when you try to make something appeal to everybody. You know, you got a little bit of stuff for the older people. You got a little bit of stuff for the younger people. You have a little bit of cliches, a little bit of something that everybody's going to recognize. You have all these stars that don't even all make sense to be in this movie, like Dick Van Patten, you know? Right. I mean, (laughs) all these kind of odd cameos, which were so typical of these movies. Uh It's like, hey, let's throw in some somebody something somebody everybody knows we can't afford to have him like be the main character but you know we can have him pop in and then grandma can be like oh i love dick van patten ha 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 you know right kind of thing well and and i have to say that in terms of uh quality you know when it comes to cinematography and and acting Mm. um this is actually really quite good as compared to some of the other movies. I mean, I, I have a special place in my heart for the It miniseries, but I would say that this is better produced even maybe than that was. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. There, there's just a lot, you know, with the costumes and the makeup and the effects. and The lighting. The, yeah, the lighting. I mean, it just, it looks better. It, it looks it like it could have had a theatrical release. Not that it's a great movie. It's not great. But it looks good. Um, I don't know. You know, I understand what the critics are saying. It is a little slow uh, as far as pacing is concerned. It totally is a, a big hodgepodge. But ultimately, those things didn't really bother me that much. I enjoyed it. I wasn't, like, laughing out loud. I wasn't scared ever. I wasn't, like, super intrigued. But it held my attention, and it was fun. It was just kind of a fun movie to watch. Well, and a little bit of trivia, and here Macaulay Culkin made his debut on this film. Yeah, as an uncredited trick-or-treater. I didn't see him. (laughs) Probably under a mask. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that was it. That was all I could find. I mean, I just knew. I was just sure that there would be all kinds of stories with with as many famous people who were in this. And, you know, I expected to read things about the production. Yeah, and I just couldn't find much of anything which is unfortunate but well whatever it was still fun 
probably not a lot of people have seen it. I mean, now that we True. have the internet, you can see it. Somebody's been kind enough to upload it from those rare tapes that were out there. But once again, like you said, if you hadn't seen it when it came out for the last few decades, you missed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you can catch it on YouTube, and I will be putting a link to it as well on our website so that you can check it out as well for Halloween. All right, and that is the end of this episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can also find us at twoguys.red40net.com, where we have all of our back episodes. A link to this movie will be on there as well. Please leave us a comment. Uh, we have a nice little lineup of Halloween movies leading up to October 31st for you this year. And then, of course, we do take requests, so please let us know what you'd like us to review, and we'll get to those as well. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. 